Good morning, church family. I'm really excited to be here this morning. I missed you guys. I mean, that's a good sign. Because I don't know if you remember, but a couple of years ago, we uh, moved into this space and we're having a discussion after church. And Scott here, who was who like just uh, gung-ho for everything. We really appreciate Scott. Scott's so gung-ho, for those of you that don't know, he showed up at church when there was no church last week. So happy new year to Scott. You could have stayed out later Saturday night. <laughs> anyway, and uh, Scott brought up potlucks. And, uh, and then I bit Scott's head off. <clears throat> and I was like, man, I, I don't... I don't want to be around you people any longer than I need to be. I need a break. Um, I mean, that's paraphrasing what I said. But, you know, it, it had been a rough, uh, rough go. And so uh, to miss everybody and miss being here, like I remember uh, the first few years, about the first three, four, five years that we were at church, every year in December, the first Sunday in December, uh, the leadership team would kick me out, uh, Annette and I out, and we would go to our old church. We'd go back to Blyfield Baptist for a Sunday. And every year it was kind of nice. It was nice to go back feel like, ah, oh, nobody's looking at me to do anything. Nobody's looking at me to troubleshoot anything. I, don't, I can just sit and get loved on and enjoy the worship. And I didn't have to worry about if the mics were feeding back or any of that kind of stuff. And it always felt a little bit like a homecoming. Uh, and then I remember we were probably about four or five years into New Vintage. And we went back and we visited at Christmas time at Blyfield. And it was like going to my parents' house on New Year's Eve. Uh, going to my parents' house on New Year's Eve, like it's a warm, nostalgic feeling, and I can look up the stairway, and right at the top of the stairs is the doorway to my bedroom. And I was able to look at that doorway, you know, and I would say to myself, like, that's where I grew up, but this isn't home anymore. Like, I don't feel like when I go to my parents' house, like, oh, this, this is home. And it was about five years into the church, I remember going back to Blyfield on that Sunday morning. I thought, this is the same feeling I have at my parents' house on Christmas Eve. Like, uh, yeah, that's where I grew up. Blyfield, where I grew up spiritually, it's where I came to know Christ. It's where I grew. It's where I served. But it was all preparation to send me out on my own. And so here we are. And so uh, the last couple of weeks, I realized, man, I don't want to do that again. Uh, I don't want to go two weeks without seeing y'all. I really like you guys. Uh, Julia in particular, uh, she's just so, she's warm and inviting. Julia, you're like one of those people that everybody likes. Um, you are you are like the yin to my yang, like because I'm the abrasive one. The people visit our church, and like, well, the guy with the microphone, he's a little rough around the edges. But I met that one girl that sits in the back corner. She was real sweet, so I gave it a second chance. So we're really appreciative uh, that you're here. But man, there's so many so many things. Like I I am looking forward to this year together because this is a year of transition. This is a year of transition where uh, we're here today. Uh, but a year from now, like next, like this coming Christmas, 2023, uh, to be back in our own space and be able to put the Christmas tree out again. I didn't put the Christmas tree out. So we had a show at the beginning of December. It's called Sweat Fest. And it was an all-day Saturday deal. And we absolutely lost control of this place, not for real. But uh, we lost control in the way that we are actually trying to lose control. The speaker back there fell over in the middle of the show at one point. It was so crazy up front. There was uh, one of our trash cans was in the mosh pit. And I was like, man, we have lost control. And then I saw a video on Instagram just last week of a hardcore show in a different place around the holidays. And there was a whole Christmas tree in the mosh pit just being thrown at people. And I was like, well, I'm kind of glad we didn't get the Christmas tree out this year because that trash can story could have been our tree. And we don't want that to happen because we love our tree. So we kept it protected this year. Um, but man, our leadership team met this week and I could really sense the energy. Like uh, we're kind of past the putting fires out 
and uh, to hear the energy. One of the things I loved about our leadership team meetings over the years is, you know, we come in at like seven o'clock at night. We've all been at our real jobs all day. It's late, we're tired, and uh, over the years, traditionally, I, and, and I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this, it's like you can be physically tired, but as soon as you start to step into whatever it is that God has you to do, it's like there's this renewed grace, renewed energy. I always think of the passage in Isaiah that those who wait upon the Lord, they'll renew their strength. And you'd see, I'd see it in team meetings tons of times over the years. People come in like this, shoulders down like, oh, I'm so tired. But by the time they leave, even if it's 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, they're like, I am wide awake. I'm excited. I'm jazzed. I just want to get back to doing ministry, talking to people, doing this, doing that. Creative juices are flowing. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of fires to put out over the last five years. And uh, what was a lot of fun this week is to sit with our leadership team and really sense the energy back in the room. I had a ton of fun. I was jazzed up. Uh, it was so cool. Podcast is starting back up this week. So, Kevin, thanks for taking care of that. Kevin's going to edit it, get it posted. And uh, if you want to know how to get a hold of our podcast, you can go right to our website, newvintagechurch.org, and you'll see the podcast link. And you can subscribe on your iPhone, on your Android desktop whatever you listen to fine podcasts like ours through. So, man, Josh and Jonathan, it's so good to see you guys. Happy New Year. Scott's been saving these seats up here. He's been breathing on them to keep them warm. <clears throat> we know how you guys like warm seats. So here we go, 2023. We're going to talk about Jesus Maybe that sounds funny because we're at church. Like, don't we always talk about Jesus? Yes, we always talk about Jesus. But we are going to focus in getting back to basics. We're going to talk about Jesus because it's all about Jesus, right? It's, it's all about Jesus. It, it's, we live because of Jesus. We live for Jesus. Everything we have is because of Jesus. Uh, we have forgiveness of sin because of Jesus. We have hope for eternity because of Jesus. We have purpose in this life because of Jesus. We have a friend that sticks closer than a brother or sister when we're going through trouble, and his name is Jesus. When we serve other people, we're serving Jesus. When we give away our money, we're giving it to Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. So we're going to talk about the prayers of Jesus, the parables, the short stories with a big meaning of Jesus, the paradox that Jesus presents, the things that seem really upside down in the person of Jesus. So we're going to spend some time talking about Jesus and what I want to do right here on the front end of 2023 is I'm hoping to stir up a crucial conversation about some old words. And I'm hoping to stir up a crucial conversation about the Lord's Prayer. So how many of you remember elementary school and you stood up every morning and said the Pledge of Allegiance, show of hands, Okay, let's practice now. No, um, every morning, right? As good uh, American citizens, we stood up, and I did it. I can still remember standing there in Miss DeRitter's classroom. I can still smell the chalk dust. I can still smell the pencil shavings. I can feel what it was to be in that first grade room, all the anxiety of being around 30 other people your age, and standing up every morning, we would face the corner, and we would pledge our allegiance to that flag. Now, when we would get to church on Sunday mornings, we would stand up at the beginning of the service and we would recite the Lord's Prayer. And it was like kind of our version of the Pledge of Allegiance to God. And it is kind of weird how uh, 
over the years, I think what I kind of ingrained, was ingrained in me, excuse me, through those experiences is that like prayer and patriotism kind of go hand in hand. And the kingdom and the empire kind of make strange bedfellows. Uh, like it's one of those relationships that starts out well. It's like marrying a handsome young man or a beautiful young woman, only to find out later that they're really uh, abusive and self-absorbed, right? And at somewhere eventually along the line, uh, empire values have a way of kind of dominating kingdom principles. And so we end up kind of trading a community for individuality and uh, generosity for selfishness and surrender and dying to ourselves to fighting for our rights. But this is not about uh, the kingdom versus the empire this morning. Uh, I love living in America. I am so grateful for the people that <coughs> sacrificed so we can get here this morning and we can worship. We don't have to worry about the the police coming in. We don't have to worry about being imprisoned for our faith. So I am grateful. This is not an anti-American message. What it is about is putting first things first. As my pastor Louis used to say year after year, many people want to seek the kingdom. Very few people want to seek it first. So here we are, it's January, and whether or not you are a person who makes New Year's resolutions, I think there's still this feeling of a threshold. There's this feeling, uh, it, it, for me, I get it three times a year. I kind of have three seasons of rhythm throughout the year that feels like uh, we're leaving one thing and entering into a fresh start. For me, it's the beginning of the school year, the beginning of fall, I don't know why, it always just feels like we're about to step into something. I always feel that way at the end of the school year, like, like school year's done, we put it behind us, we're stepping into three months of great weather, the kids are home from school, it feels like, you know, like, like I, I think of it in these increments, like, okay, what do we want to get done? What do we want to do over the next three months? And I think of it when we uh, turn the calendar over, like I don't make resolutions, but there's still this feeling of, okay, what from this year didn't go well? What from this year do I maybe need to leave behind? And then going into this year, maybe what are some things that I want to do different or maybe some things I want to do better? When we come to the subject of a fresh start, why are we starting with something so old, like the Lord's Prayer? And the answer that I'm sure is already on your mind, almost on your lips, when you hear me ask that question, why start with something so old? <coughs> and the answer that you've probably already figured out is, is this, cartography. I know that you were already thinking it, cartography. The study of and making of maps. Now, cartography was a practice that was started in ancient Greece with the invention of paper. More notably, in recent years, as we stepped into colonial America, we probably all learned about Lewis and Clark and how Lewis and Clark, their team, was hired by Thomas Jefferson after the Louisiana Purchase. You guys remember this from school, right? And they were hired to be cartographers to map out the new territory for us as Americans. 
What does that mean? Well, I said I wanted to stir up a crucial conversation about the Lord's Prayer. Why start with something so old? When I was 18 years old, I'm going to answer it this way. I'd only had my driver's license for about six months. And I took it upon myself to make a little road trip. And I drove five hours to see a band that I knew probably wasn't going to make their way to Michigan. I went solo. The only thing I took with me was my music and my map. This was back before Google Maps and Waze. And I actually had an atlas, a book that you could buy at road, road stops. And, and I had it right there in the passenger seat. And I made it the five-hour trip down to a different state, past Chicago, no problem. And then I, was, I needed to get back. Like time was of the essence because the next day was my graduation open house. And my family was very adamant, if you're going to do this road trip, you need to be back by Sunday morning because we're getting ready for your open house. So no problem. So I leave this area. I got a five-hour drive in front of me. I know I'm going to roll in probably around 6 o'clock in the morning. And I get just outside of Chicago, heading back home, and I see the sign for Rockford. The man, Rockford, they got a sign all the way down here in Illinois. So I stopped looking at the map, and it was raining, and it was dark, and I was far from home, and I'd never been that far from home, and I followed the sign for Rockford. Ninety minutes later, if you look it up on Google Maps, exactly one hour and 24 minutes from Chicago, I discovered there is also <laughs> a Rockford, Illinois. Do you know what it's like to be in the wrong city, in the wrong state, and have no idea to even get back to where you're going at 2.30 in the morning? And there's a time deadline. I was frustrated with myself. I was angry at myself. And I felt lost. See, sometimes we need a little help to find our way home. I stopped looking at the sign. I went back to looking at my map. And I was able to chart my way from Rockford, Illinois, back home. A few years into the church plant here at New Vintage, I had a middle-aged man who'd been visiting our church for a little bit reach out to me and ask me if I was available for, uh, excuse me, if I was available at noon on Friday. Assuming that food was involved, I was available. I said yes. I met him at where he works. We hopped in his vehicle and we headed out to a surprise location. I thought, man, lunch is going to be good. He's not even telling me where we're going. We pulled into a parking lot of an office complex, pulled around the back of the building, and the parking lot was full. There was no restaurant in sight. I didn't ask any questions. He didn't offer any solutions, and we walked in the back door. We go down this hallway that has kind of all the charm of a cheap hotel. There's the drinking fountain and the flanked by the 
restrooms, and there's the door off to the left. You hear just a quiet din of people in there, and we go into the room, and the room is packed. It's got folding chairs, kind of like this, but it's the old metal Samsonite chairs, and they're all around the perimeter of the room, and the center is packed. We went, we found our way to the back corner, found a couple of chairs, and I still had no idea where we were or what we were doing, and honestly, I thought I was about to get sold something. Oh, man, we're at one of those pyramid scheme things. I'm going to have to start selling Bissell vacuum cleaners, right? Is that what this is? Hey, Murph, I know that ministry is hard and it doesn't pay a lot, so you should sell some vacuum cleaners. It's not, it's not a pyramid. It's more of a triangle. <coughs> Everybody spoke in hushed tones, like the librarian was about to check on us or the movie was about to start. And for me, it was. And another middle-aged gentleman, tall, slender guy, he comes in the door, and as he comes in and he sits down, the whole room gets quiet. And then he just says these words. He says, my name is X, and I am an alcoholic. And this began a series all around the room. My name is X, and I am an alcoholic. My name is X, and I am an alcoholic. And I realized what this gentleman was doing. He was inviting me. He was letting his guard down and letting me into the real him. Beautiful story until I tell you this next part. I have to admit, as I'm listening to people go around the room, and I'd heard, I knew exactly where we were immediately, like, oh, I see what's going on here. I felt this cynicism rise up in me. Like everybody was just kind of, it's like they were on autopilot. My name is X. I'm an alcoholic. Some people said just that. A few people shared success stories. Some people shared failure stories. What was interesting is both of them were celebrated. It's like the failure stories became success stories because the failure no longer was a secret. And I thought, so you say this phrase, you're all better now, everything's good. And I recalled a few years previous, and Annette made an announcement to me. She said, I think I'm going to go to Weight Watchers. And the same cynicism rose up in the inside of me. It might be some of that same cynicism that you feel when I tell you that we're going to talk about the Lord's Prayer. You're going to go to Weight Watchers, okay? I think internally I was thinking, <laughs> let me know how that goes. Because I remember watching family members, close family members growing up, going to Weight Watchers, two steps forward, three steps back, three steps forward, two steps back. Lose, gain, lose, gain, lose, you kind of get the picture. I felt like the only thing you really lost over time was you lost your money and eventually you lost hope. Like I watched family members on this teeter-totter of 
weight loss, weight gain, weight loss, weight gain, weight loss, weight gain. <laughs> Bless you. And so when Annette said, I'm going to go to Weight Watchers, like, here we go. Welcome to the teeter-totter. We're just going to pour money into that. Nobody actually loses weight. But perhaps wisely, I held my tongue. And I waited. A week went by, and two weeks went by, six weeks went by, and between the six and eight week mark, somewhere in there, I remember Annette standing in front of the mirror in the restroom in our trailer. And she says, oh my goodness, I can put two fingers between my jeans and my skin. I'm in the other room as if we just found a winning lottery ticket. Like, what? Like, that actually worked? Here's what happened on the inside of me. All of that cynicism now had another voice, and it said to me, you got to go to Weight Watchers. For me, it wasn't AA, it was WW. Hello, my name is Mark Leach. I love snacks. <laughs> and there was a rhythm and there was a tradition to it. And I watched Annette over the next year lose 65 pounds and keep it off. Andy Stanley talks about the principle of the path. And if I remember it, I think the way that Andy Stanley says it is uh, your attention determines your direction and your direction determines your destination. Your attention, what you and I pay attention to determines our direction and whatever direction we are headed determines our destination. That's the, the principle of the path. In other words, it's not, it's not like this overnight breakthrough. It's all those little decisions that led up to it, right? Like an ice cube or a glacier doesn't melt overnight. A marriage doesn't fall apart overnight. Your body doesn't get healthy overnight. It's all those little decisions that keep leading up to it, keep leading up to it, keep leading up to it. The way we say it here around New Vintage is whatever gets your attention gets your affection. One of the few phrases that I say better than Andy. You can put that on the podcast. I hope he listens to it. It's the only phrase I have that's said better than Andy. I said I wanted to start this month a crucial conversation about the Lord's Prayer. And the reason I wanted to start that crucial conversation was cartography, which hopefully was surprising, because I think the Lord's Prayer over the next few weeks is going to surprise us that when we take a deeper dive into the Lord's Prayer, into this passage that mom read for us this morning, we're going to find it's surprising. It's surprising in its simplicity. And it's surprising because it has the power to turn the world right side up by turning things upside down. Because the truth is, we all need a little help to 
find our way home. That man who was going to meetings on Friday, he went to those meetings and he went through the ritual and the routine of it because sometimes we need a little help to find our way home. Like, I'm not where I want to be. I need help to get there. When I went to Weight Watchers with Annette, it's because I'm not doing this on my own. I can't seem to get it done on my own. And sometimes we need a little help to find our way home. And I think one of the things that the Lord's Prayer does for us is there's going to come times that you and I feel lost. I don't even know what to pray for. And sometimes we need a little help to find our way home to our Heavenly Father like the prodigal son or the lost sheep. So I picked this passage in Luke. And mom, I told you King James and my apologies because I think I meant New King James. So, but thanks for reading it in the Old English. That was beautiful. Uh, and so we'll talk about that this week. But this passage that mom read for us, so it appears in two different gospels. It appears in Matthew's gospel and it appears in Luke's gospel, which is where we read from this morning. In the words, the Lord's Prayer doesn't actually appear in the text. That was added later when Wycliffe and Merton and these guys got together and they put the headings in, you know. And, uh, but it's this prayer that Jesus prayed. The reason I like the Luke 11 is because the Luke 11 version of this account gives a crucial detail that Matthew doesn't. And the detail is this, and it's particularly heartwarming to me as a father. It includes this detail where this disciple comes up and he says, Lord, do you teach us how to pray? So for any of the parents in the room or any of the uh, Uncle Nick's and Aunt Rochelle's, like you have kids around you that you have influence over. My kids will tell you they get free sermons all week. <laughs> Eye rolling notwithstanding. They have to listen to my advice because we're the parents. It's our job. But you parents can amen this. You can agree with this. When your kid comes to you and says, will you teach me something? Will you help me? Doesn't it do something to your father, daddy heart, your mama heart? Like, oh, my kid wants to grow in wisdom. <clears throat> my child wants to know how to do something better. It's a moment. <clears throat> and I have to think that this moment for Jesus had to be a heartwarming moment that one of his students came to him and instead of waiting for Jesus to come drop some wisdom. Like it makes me think of that old proverb when Solomon writes and he says, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. <laughs> it's so beautiful and yet so profound. In other words, stop waiting for somebody to come give it to you. Stop waiting for life to teach you the hard way. Go get some. Download a podcast. Read a book. Go to church. Get around wise friends. Go get wisdom. Pursue it. Chase it. Study it. Memorize it. Commit it to your life. And here's this disciple that is doing exactly that. We want you to teach us. Now, here's what's weird about this passage. Here's what's weird about this student coming to Jesus to say, Lord, teach us how to pray. These are young Jewish men. And these young Jewish men, they would have been raised in a tradition where they had, for example, the Siddur, 
It's his book at that time would have been 18 different prayers. Prayers for weddings, prayers for funerals, prayers for the Sabbath, prayers that you would pray over a meal, prayers that they would pray at the three major festivals, Pentecost and Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles. There, there were these prayers that you, the priests would pray. There were these prayers that family would pray. They understood prayer. Like the Siddur would have been kind of what the Book of Common Prayer became for Protestants during the Protestant Reformation of the 1500s. There was this book of prayers that were for weddings and funerals and different events and benedictions, and it became this kind of lifeline. So here's these Jewish young men that they understand prayer. They've been taught about prayer, and yet they come to Jesus. And what I hear between the lines when I read this is it's as if they understand something. They understand Jesus, you are where we are not. Like where you are is where we want to be. Like we kind of run from conflict or we get rash and we run into conflict and we want to like hurt people. But where we choose revenge, you seem to choose reconciliation. You seem to know how to love your enemies. You seem to know how to have authority and confront your enemies. And you seem to know how to say the right things. And there's like this weight of influence. There's, there's a depth to your relationship with God. It's, it's, this is kind of what I'm reading into the text here, that this disciple is like, there's a depth. You ever get around a friend, another Christian friend, and there's like, there's a depth to you that I don't have. It's like you seem to get God, understand God in a way that I just don't. And there's a, there's a width. Like your influence is so much different than mine. Like this disciple, I think he looked at Jesus and he said, there's not only depth in your relationship with God, but there is breadth to it. There's, there's a width to it. Like your, your reach just goes out. Like thousands of people want to like not even eat and follow you around just to listen to another sermon by you because you hold the words of life. And when you speak, it's like things happen and people get stirred up and they want to follow you. Like they want to crown you king. You are inspirational and you are challenging and sometimes you're difficult, but yet we're listening. And they understood there was a depth and there was a width to the life of Jesus. And somehow I think this student figured out, I don't know what the key is, but I need a map. Show us. Can you show us? Because we're over here, but you're kind of like over here and we want to be where you're at. What is the map? And I think they understood there's something about your prayer life. There's something about your prayer habit. There's something about what happens when none of us are looking. There's something that happens behind closed doors that is not happening behind our closed doors, but we definitely see it when you're out on the playing field. We definitely see it in public. Whatever's happening in private is showing in public. Whatever kind of roots you've got are different than the roots we've got because the fruit that you have is different than the fruit we have. And we want to walk in that kind of power, that kind of authority, that kind of confidence, that kind of relationship with God. So, Lord, teach us. Would you teach? How do we get there? Cartography. Give us the map. You tell us how to get there. What's interesting to note about this passage in Luke 11 is what Jesus didn't say. Like, Jesus didn't say some of the things I said when I was a youth leader. Jesus, in response to Luke 11, to this, this student, Jesus doesn't say, just talk to God. He's like your best bud. Yeah, he's your homeboy. 
I just talk to him. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. What Jesus didn't say in this passage, I just talk to God. He's, he's the big guy upstairs. Instead, he answers with formality, or at least what I would read as formality. I think because I prayed this growing up, because so many of us, we prayed this week after week, Sunday after Sunday, it kind of becomes formality. And I think what Jesus, what we're going to see over the next few weeks is Jesus gives us a way to start. And here's what clicked for me. Because Jesus tells them how to pray. And they had prayers. And not only did they have prayers, but they had stories of prayer. Like they would have had these old, what we now call Old Testament, but they would have had these stories that would be handed down of Abraham crying out to God for his nephew. They would have had stories of Hannah weeping for her child. Right? There were these stories of David crying out to the Lord. These are stories of prayer, and they didn't follow a format. And I think it occurs to me as we read through the Lord's Prayer that, yeah, there's those moments. Because we tend to pray with passion and perseverance when we need something. I do. Like when James, the brother of Jesus, he writes that the, the fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. Right? We tend to pray with fervency when we need something. Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, change it. Oh, God, give me a miracle. Right? We pray with fervency. And I think Jesus isn't saying that that's bad. But I think he's saying, but, but man, if all we're doing is yelling out to God when we need something, it kind of just becomes like kids in Santa Claus. And I think there's a point where I want you to grow in depth. Okay, yeah, you've been doing that, but now I want you to do this. And it all starts with turning the whole idea of prayer on its head. And what we're going to find over the next few weeks is how Jesus is giving this way to pray that starts first with centering us. This is why I think when, when I say we need a little help to find our way home, it's because so often I put myself at the center of the story. I'm the center of the story. I'm, I, I'm, the, I'm the center of, of, of it all. And God is kind of out here on the peripheral, right? And God is there to make me happy, to make sure my needs are met, to make sure that uh, emotionally I feel peace and all those things. And, and as long as God is doing those things for me and coming through for me and answering all my doubts and all my questions and making a clear path for me and all that kind of stuff, right, then I'm good with God, right? It's me at the center. And with this prayer, what we're going to see over the next few weeks is, is Jesus is going to just turn all that upside down and say, no, here's where I want you to start. I want you to start with our Father in heaven. Holy is your name. We're going to start with putting God at the center and us in submission to that God. Him as sovereign, him as boss, as Lord, as king, as God over our lives. Your will be done. The whole thing is going to turn us. This is why the Lord's Prayer, it's so countercultural. It's so subversive. Right? Because culture would tell us, it's 
It's all about you. You can have it your way right away. Be all you can be. Do all you can do. Seize the day. You're the center of attention, right? It's, it's all about you. You, 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 you. And Jesus comes along and says, that way, right? There's a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to, what's the word, church? Death. I would bet that every regret that you have in your life and every regret I have in my life stems back to some version of putting you at the center. Your needs, your wants, your comfort, right? And me too. This is why the Lord's Prayer, it's so subversive. It, it undermines my pride and my selfishness. It undermines my ego. It makes things right by turning things upside down. And we're going to see that in the weeks ahead. As I study this prayer and I realize that what Jesus is saying is just like a road trip. He's not saying this is the only thing to pray. He's saying start here. This is your on-ramp. It's your on-ramp. Start here. And then I start to backtrack into my cynicism. And I think about my friend at Alcoholics Anonymous. And I realized at that moment, as we went around the room, hi, my name is X, and I'm an alcoholic. That wasn't the cure. It was the on-ramp. Like, how did I miss that uh, there's 11 other steps that come after it? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, my cynicism didn't take that into account. Like, oh, this is just the first of 11 steps. This is just the on-ramp to a much bigger deal. That when I went to Weight Watchers and I stood on a scale in front of a stranger, for me, that was my step one moment. It was the start here, deal with the truth as it is moment. But it wasn't the whole story. There were steps. In any journey, there are steps. In any road trip, there are steps. And I think what we're going to see in the Lord's Prayer is it's simply the on-ramp. It's not the whole of your prayer life. Jesus didn't just pray this. We're going to see in the life of Jesus as we move on that he prayed other things, but I think he started here. I think he was in submission to his own father. I think this is the on-ramp to some depth. And sometimes you and I just feel lost. And we need a little help to find our way home. And the only way to find our way home is going to be through submission. We're going to start with the battle of wills. Whose will? Mine or thine? And that's going to be our lifelong struggle, which is why I think this needs to be our lifelong prayer. So, church family, will you do two things this week? First, will you pray this out loud? with a member of your family? Will you pray this out loud if you're living alone? Will you pray this out loud by yourself? And number two, will you teach this to your children? It occurred to me in preparation for this month, I've never taught this prayer to my children. 
And the reason I think that it is so important for me to teach this prayer and to pray it with my children is because eventually, someday, they're going to feel lost, far from God. And all of us, at some point, need help to find our way home. Rochelle has printed this prayer for us in the bulletin. Can we stand up together? I actually have to steal one from somebody because I didn't bring my bulletin with me. Somebody got an extra sheet? I can, oh, Kevin does. Before we close in music, Will you join me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to invite our band to come up. And I'm going to pray for us while they're plugging in. Lord Jesus, thank you for everything. For the breath in our lungs, the food in our refrigerators, the gifts that you've given us, the jobs that we have, the friends and the family, for better or worse. Thank you for the trials, because you told us to count it pure joy, that you are with us in the midst of suffering. Thank you for the people around us who don't know you, that you sent us to. Thank you for the money we have in our bank accounts. Thank you for the spiritual gifts that you've given us. Thank you for your presence in our lives. Thank you for giving us hope and purpose. Father, I pray that you would speak so significantly deeply to us over these next few weeks, God, as we look at this prayer that you pray, Jesus, that the depth of it would impact us, surprise us, shake us, and revive us. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.